Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Dave Harvey, uh, architect and co-owner of D&D Harvey Architects. Hi, Dave. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Great, great. No, no complaints. Uh, before we talk about some of your projects, let me ask you, how long have you been an architect? Uh, well, I've been practicing architecture since uh, 1989, uh, and we became D&D Harvey Architects in 1993. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Let me ask you a question. What prompted you to become an architect? Uh, well, believe it or not, my father told me if I'm going to go to college, I should choose a profession. And I was like, huh, okay. Um, and he said, you like art, you like math, sounds like architect. And uh, I was like, well, great, because I love to draft. So that's literally why I went to school for architecture. I had to go for something. Right. Interesting. You know, it's kind of uh, funny because um, when I was at one point, uh, when I was a young kid, I was fascinated by architecture, so much so by uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. And I just thought his his lines, et cetera, just were attractive to me. And then I realized that I really didn't want to be an architect. I wanted to go into the music. So <laughs> that's what I went into instead. But, you know, we all find our callings, right? Yeah. And uh, Frank Lloyd Wright is one of the best. Um we can't use his name. It's almost like blasphemy to architects to say that we we are of equal status. But oh wow, great architect! You know, <laughs> I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I love some of your architecture. You know, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, did you apprentice before you uh, you went on your own? Uh, I did. So when I was in college, I did two years with uh, a firm in Summit, New Jersey, Mike Bazala, and then when I came to Sag Harbor. Um, that was in 1990 after I graduated, I went to work for uh, Robert Barnes, who then became uh, Barnes Coy and who recently uh, passed away maybe mm. a year ago. So. Would, would you consider him like one of your mentors? Well, he's a contemporary architect. So you, you try to work for someone who's, you know, current and uh, local, if you are thinking of staying in the area. So, um, he was considered one of the, the best architects here, and he used to work for Norman Jaffe. So it was, um, I was looking forward to working for him. Right, right. Boy, he had some legacy, didn't he, Jaffe? Yes, he, uh, I, I'd have to say he's one of the most uh, influential architects on the East End. Um, you know, people aren't really doing that style anymore, but that was uh, the beginning of kind of contemporary architecture out here. Yeah, it was like kind of a breakthrough, wasn't it? I mean, architecturally speaking. Yeah, he he built a lot of beach homes, um, lightweight construction, uh, great, cool spaces, not overly expensive. So it was perfect for the uh, the summer market out here. Um, and he did it well. Wow. Let me ask you, uh, of any of the mentors that you had, um, did any of them give you any advice that you still employ today? Uh, not so much that I could, uh, restate it. Uh, 
some, like for instance, I worked with one guy at Rob's who taught me that it has to be right. And I thought, well, I always think I'm right, so that's good. <laughs> but um, what he meant was if you're gonna draw it, draw it the first time and draw it correctly because um, a year and a half from now when you're actually building it, you're gonna be looking at that same thing that you drew and you better be right. So wow. good advice, right? Now, that's interesting. That, uh, now, when you come up with ideas and, and plans, um, working with contractors, how does that work? Because I know sometimes, you know, contractors have another way of doing something and an architect has thoughts on something else and the contractor says, no, I can't do that. Yes, I, you can. Have you ever well, run into that? Yes. So there's, um, there's varying types of architects. So some architects like myself and Dawn, um, we're very interested in the structure and the construction. So when we do a design, uh, just like I said previously, it, it's going to work. Um, some designers that we collaborate with are more about the image and the idea, and then they actually depend on someone else to make it work. Um, our firm also does that a little bit as executive architects for other design firms. So we'll take a great idea and a, a big you know, concept and we make it work on the site. So we love working with contractors um, and I do go to them. If they say they can do it better <clears throat> or um, easier or more cost effectively, then I look at it quickly and decide if it doesn't compromise the design, we go with it. And after that happens a few times on the job site, the contractor then usually realizes that maybe uh, your ideas are good and that they will listen to you. So it, it becomes a partnership for sure. Right. Do you uh, find yourself working with certain contractors from before because you have a rapport? I work with a lot of different art, uh, different contractors, but um, over the years, I've done a lot of projects with uh, a local developer by the name of Jay Bialski out here. And uh, we're currently doing the uh, townhouse project in Sag Harbor. So he's a go-to, I, I offer his name often. Uh, we like to use um, Ironwood Construction in Southampton, uh, Witty Gazda here in Sag Harbor, uh, Nick Zapola. We like to keep it pretty local. Um, so there are several very good builders. Uh, those are not the only ones, there are a lot, but those seem to be the ones that are awarded our bids. Interesting. That's very interesting. You bring up a good one. Uh, good thing about the, that's one of your projects uh, and it's still uh, working at it. Uh, but there was a lot of controversy and I'm just curious, a lot of people don't know the history and the background and, and some of the beneficial um, ideas that were beneficial to the village. Um, can you give us a little background on that? Um, yeah. So that, interestingly enough, that project, um, people only know it now as the tall towers, but um, the, the townhouses were long in the making. So the, a previous developer was trying to develop the entire waterfront behind the 7-Eleven, as people know it. And um, Jay Bialski came to me with an idea or a request, how could we make only 40% of the property kind of viable um, the other developer couldn't do it. So the, the town kind of pigeonholed the previous developer, developer into 
40% of the property and they wanted a park. So we came up with a cluster development that would work on the 40%, basically creating 60% open space. So um, I have a planning background and that was uh, a move I wanted to try here and I think it was successful. But yes, you end up with uh, pretty dense construction on a small portion of the property. Yeah, but you have that park. I mean, uh, exactly. Which so to me is like so beneficial. I mean, it's such a, a great thing to add to the village. Yeah. And I, you know, my folks came to Sag Harbor in 1973. They thought it was a beautiful little town built the summer house. I've basically stayed. Um, so I wanted, I loved the idea of the park. I did not like the previous development of the whole waterfront. And so when Jay asked me, you know, how could we do this? Believe it or not, he's about the only person that could figure out or agree to building three single family homes where originally people wanted to do a minimum of 13 units um, down from 60 units uh, over the whole site. I forgot and, about that. Um, You're right. I forgot. Yeah. That. It's, yeah. So, yeah, people have short term memory. Um, <laughs> They love sure the idea that they love the idea of the park, and now that that's theirs, they you know they start saying they don't like the the townhouses. But um, you know, we tried to do a, a, a nice mix of vernacular there. It's a kind of a 1930s brick retrofitted building, and then working with the ARB, um, we actually ended up with the glass box on the park because uh, they wanted a much lighter weight, you know, transparent quote, quote, fun structure. So even though right now it looks a little odd, once we're landscaped and it's finished, that building will kind of re reflect the sky, you'll see through it. You can see the sunrise and sunset through it. So, mm. you know, the, basically the visual uh, plane is minimal. So, so uh, what, people don't have the vision to see what it is. So you had the vision already, which to me is part of, you know, it makes you unique that you can see into the future uh, and people are- well, it was, a, it was a, also a joint effort. So um, Dawn and I ran the, the whole uh, project uh, originally as kind of a design competition. And we had four architecture firms working simultaneously to keep up with the ARB's requests and change of venues and basically uh, what we ended up with was a um, Andre Kokoski uh, of New York filled out the three building scheme, and we all sat down at Sen Restaurant after maybe the fifth ARB meeting, and we thought we would be dead in the water. But they were like, uh, "We're like, we have to come up with something interesting for the third building," and that's when the glass box um, came about. It was a joint effort between all of us. And within four days, we had it designed, modeled, and presented. We did not even miss an ARB meeting. So it was Gee. pretty crazy. How um, long did that process take, by the way? I mean, this is a you know number of years, wasn't it? So we only worked on it. So Jay Bayasi took it over February, three years ago, maybe. So we got it through in, I think, nine months. Um, but... It had been years with the previous developer, you know, basically getting it down to uh, building on the current site and 
trying to create a park. So we facilitated that and we got the building approved in pretty much record time. I think it was nine months. So that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Yeah. But it was, it was the tail end of a very long process and a process that almost, it was dead in the water. So I don't, I think if Jay Bialski hadn't picked it up or thought he could do it, pull it off three buildings. um, It it, never would have happened. I I think the big white building would still be there and someone would have renovated it. Uh, I think it would have been pretty bad. That's amazing. (laughs) That is amazing. So speaking of, you brought up Dawn. I mean, uh, she's the other D in the D and D Harvey uh, architects. Um, how did you guys meet and what made you want to work together? I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, that's, you know, you, you see the person during the day and you see them in the evening. Well, interesting thing. I was, uh, going to a job interview at Rob Barnes office in East Hampton and Dawn was the only one in the office. Rob had forgotten about the meeting. So she interviewed me for my first job out of college and then oh, um, <laughs> well, I shouldn't say my first job but my first job out here right and um he uh then Rob you know breezed in very late apologized uh gave me an interview was somewhat impressed but then Dawn and I worked together for two years at Rob's she went back to graduate school at Syracuse um and then we what started out as just a friendship we used to like to bike at night after work um We've basically been together for 29 years. God bless you. That's fabulous. That's a great story. If someone uh, wants to reach you with uh, any questions, how could they do that, Dave? Uh, you can always contact contact us by email, dndharvey at optonline.net. Or um, my cell number is also very easy, uh, 631-680-8762. Um, we're pretty casual, usually a phone call, and we uh, we have an office right on Main Street in Sag Harbor. Someone would like to meet, so that's great. Thank you for coming on the program, Dave Harvey, and thank you for listening to Real Life, broadcasting on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW eighty eight point three FM. This is John Christopher, and we'll be right back after this short intermission. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Ken Secor of Ken Secor Construction. Hi, Ken. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm fine. Thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah, it's really great to see you again. I mean, we've had quite a year, haven't we? Uh, we certainly have, John. That's That that's goes without saying, I think, at this point, right? That, exactly. You know, I just read an article in the, uh, the journal, Wall Street Journal, about uh, small contractors are missing out on the housing boom. But I don't want to Let's talk about that a little later. Give us uh, uh, a background, your background, a history of your background. You did. Uh, uh, you were building Jersey homes at one at one point, weren't you in Jersey? Uh, yes, yes, I was, John. I, uh, my I, I found construction found me when I was in my teens, and I found myself a self-employed contractor by my mid twenties, and and I had quite a good successful business in New Jersey up until the housing crisis, which building houses were no longer uh, it was no longer a good business in which I relocated out here and found this, this, this housing market out here appeared to be recovering extremely quickly compared to the, the state of New Jersey. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Okay. So you're, uh, what attracted you to the East end? 
you know, the, the, the architecture and the, the appreciation for style and taste is what I really value. I, 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 building boxes was getting boring, but people that like to add their, I call it the layers to the house that give it a personality. That inspires me. It, it taps into my creative aspects. It's a, a lot more than just building a box. You know, I'm well, very personal and passionate about it. Yeah, that's that's great. I know. Um, how would you c- consider yourself? Would you be a, a remodeler, a rebuilder? What What do you think? You know, that's a great question too, John. I I I, I was a home builder and I was a remodeler combined. Going into the last when I was in New Jersey and out here, I found my niche seems to be more of a boutique construction company where we're we're working in in new home projects and we're also doing remodeling but at this point in my life I'm 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 not really going after the the big number houses I'm not that interested in being involved in those those uh those castles on the south side of the highway unless they're a remodel you know right. Uh, right. it's safer it's safer and more manageable especially during these times right well let me ask you that question cuz um it's let's let me ask you the question about how was it for you during the pandemic? Was it difficult? Were there any challenges? Oh, well, I mean, uh, yes, there was, John. That's a, so, so yeah, we, one of the big challenges we had was that, you know, the, the, this lockdown that was imposed was also imposed on construction. We couldn't have more than one tradesman on a job site at a time on a project that I needed approximately 20 guys on that job site. Uh, there was a $10,000 fine being imposed for anybody violating these rights. And at the same time, we have deadlines like all the other builders that we have to meet these deadlines. So, Right. Was so a- was there any uh, latitude given? I mean, like when you're with your by your customers, when they say, OK, you promise them you'll be they'll be in by the beginning of the summer, say of 2020. And then you've had yeah. this lockdown. How how do you address that? How do, how do, how do you do that? Well, you know, fortunately, uh, that's that's one of my expertise is, is communicating with my clients and keeping them well abreast, well informed. And I try to I try to read that with my client going to be practical in challenges that we're going to reach along the way of construction. There's always an interruption. There's always something that causes a delay. Never anything like this COVID that we experienced. So so that gave me. I guess what I'm saying is that I kind of pre-interview my clients as well to make sure we can work together in more challenging times because they will come with designers and architect changes. So I was very fortunate that I did have clients that did understand that COVID was affecting everybody directly and they were affected in their businesses remotely from other locations as well. So we had the good fortune of having clients that were understanding and and never never it never got ugly over the delays that came but they needed to know that we were doing everything we could on our side to still get it done right right so so i mean now i mean we, we i heard of i heard of one of my plumber acquaintances caught twenty thousand dollars worth of fines for sending two plumbers over for service work that's and, crazy uh, wow yeah. and so they're yeah. actually there uh, people were going driving around saying oh you've got uh, one too many uh Yes, exactly. And we were running, I had another project that was a commercial project that had low income housing being uh, installed on top of the commercial uh, building that was already there. And we were operating at the lockdown on that because it was low income housing. It qualified under the guidelines that we were allowed to be on the job. We still got shut down. We still had to contact lawyers. And it took us three and a half, four hours before the town said, and town and police said, okay, you can continue to proceed working. (laughs) So it was a that is crazy. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. it's interesting because I, I remember at that time driving around seeing uh, when they said, OK, uh, construction, you can go out, go back again. Uh, but I didn't realize there was a limitation of only one uh, tradesperson. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was uh, actually a, an article on um, on um, one of the one of the one of the members of the town board was actually taking take counting the tradesmen coming up the highway coming into town and said this is excessive for lockdown this no they're not compliant and and they really they really picked up and started enforcing that we don't do anything you know oh geez but, how did how did you work with that i mean like for example okay you have a plumber so that's it one plumber on the job so so i guess i, I guess uh you know in full disclosure he, could, he, he couldn't bring he couldn't bring his helper or anything like that uh, that's correct. Like we have a, I have a painting crew of that painting crew Four of the members live together under one roof. They're all interconnected and they all do family together on weekends. And this whole painting crew is not allowed to work together, but they're allowed to live together. So, so I had to, for example, painters, I had one painter downstairs, one painter upstairs. We're hiding the guy that's in the basement and then we're running shift work and we've got guys working eight hour shifts. So they're working around the clock. So I'm getting the equivalent of six painters painting in a 24 hour period. Amazing. Illegally. Right. Oh, geez. Well, now, well, now it's all legal though. So we don't have that. Yes, issue. it is. Yeah. It is. It is. And, and that was a, that was a, that was a mild bend that I made when I had, I spoke with the, uh, my client and they were aware that we might experience a $10,000 fine and they, they were willing to be part of that exposure while we took those risks. Wow. That's great. Yeah, well, you, you great. do have a good uh, rapport with your clients, don't you? I, 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 at this point, thanks, John, for bringing that up at, at, at 56 years old, it's imperative that I have a good relationship with my clients. I'm not interested in, in, the, in, in drama clients, if you will. Mm -hmm. they, uh, I, I used to take any job when I was younger and very aggressive. And today it's more about enjoying my craft and finding someone that respects what we do and having a mutual respect with one another. And I just find that to be, to be much more advantageous to a, a healthy journey from start to finish in the project. Well, that, leads, yeah, yeah, that leads me to the question that, uh, uh, have you turned down any jobs? I mean, like you meet with the, the client, I have. The potential client, and you say, you know, this is not going to work. Yeah, you know, I have to, that's, I, I, I've just experienced the, one of the, the, the biggest jobs that, that was invited to, and I walked away from it because the client was not, was not rational. Uh, they, they were, they had already had a builder. I find that amazing. They have a builder in place. He's already, and they call me in to finish the job. And I'm looking, the builder was there for nine months and I'm looking at what they did there. And she's complaining about his progress. I, and I said, I don't even know the builder personally. Right. And, and, and I, I, I just couldn't help but say, you know, with all due respect, this guy's done an amazing, he's got so much done. It's amazing. She was like, where is he? I said, well, did he, did he mention COVID might be interrupting the <laughs> materials? Right. She did not want to hear that. She thought that was an excuse. She's sick of hearing it. Everybody's been vaccinated. It shouldn't be a conversation anymore. I was like, then you're not familiar with the Suez Canal and the interruption that that caused globally. <laughs> with malaria. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, I'm explaining to her in the past week, the most common toilet that's sold in America is not available and it's an eight week order. And I'm not promised that I'll have it in eight weeks. She doesn't want to hear that. So, so you get long story short, there was a huge, a huge number on the end of what she was willing to pay me to do this project. And I told her straight up, if you're not satisfied with your builder and all the accomplishments he's achieved in these trying times, I'm not going to impress you. I can show up with 300 guys. You're not going to be impressed. You're going to hear COVID excuses. And you're going to be upset and I'm not going to be the guy that's going to feel this on this, this, um, irrational conversation, you know? So I, how, I don't, yeah, go ahead. So I, I understand that's perfect. I, what you're saying. Um, I can take accountability for problems on our side. If we have an issue, I always take accountability, but I can't take accountability for the Suez canal. 
And right. I've informed you before we started the project that COVID is affecting everybody and our and our supply our supply chain what? is disrupted that uh, yeah, beyond just, anything I've ever seen. I, I can imagine. Uh, it leads me to the question then, uh, how do you bid a job? How do you bid on a job knowing that, okay, you just said eight weeks right. on a toilet. Now, right. there must be, the supply chain must be backed up on other items besides toilets and, <laughs> yeah. and, and lumber. The prices, I mean, you've seen how much uh, lumber has jumped, right? Uh, uh, I, yes, I have. And, I, and, and if that affected me. I, I, I used to put contingencies on lumber when lumber was real volatile. And that was like 20 years ago, I was getting hit by commodities volatility. So we would put contingency in the contract that it was subject to the move of the price of lumber. Mm -hmm. Today's house, houses out here in the Hamptons, lumber is not the key component of the expense anymore. We're not, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a component, but it's not the majority of it. So uh, I wound up just eating, eating some of my lumber costs last year, paying, uh, we'll wind up paying, overpaying for lumber just, just to satisfy the client and just right. eat it. We're, 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 you know, it's not worth bringing it up. It's a small, small incidental, but now moving forward. I do educate the client and say we have to put subjective pricing to it. We can price lumber in today, but it has to be adjustable and it's probably going down. It's the good news. Oh, that uh, is copper, good. Yeah. Copper's also been a problem, John. And yeah, uh, well, and wiring, right? Yeah. And it's also in our air conditioning and it's in other components that you would never believe. And all of a sudden the pricing has just gone through the roof. But the biggest problem is interruption and flow of the weirdest things. I can't get a door handle. I can get I can get any door handle except the style I want because everybody wants that style and the supply chain's been interrupted. Huh. This is this is a uh, these are noodle benders. Uh, 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 countertops. We just did countertop order. The most common countertop that I've seen out here. None. Not available. Got to substitute and find something else. We can't even tell you when it, when we're going to have it again. Well, do you or, come up with ideas like okay, say the countertop instead of they instead of having granite or marble or whatever the case may be, do you ever think, uh, step in and say, well, listen, you know, what we can do, we can either wait for that to come in or how about this? Like maybe concrete, you know, I mean, I've seen concrete tops now you know, that, uh, John, go ahead. What were you saying? You know, John, I'm laughing. I'm like, were you on my job site? That's exactly the way it played out. We just shifted the concrete countertop. The, 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 the client loves it. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, the client absolutely loves it. And we were able to fill the order. It was the, you know, but the big thing has been that I put in contingencies that we, we are, our deadline date, we cannot be held accountable. We can't hold it to that date. You can only get my commitment, my promise, my word, my references from previous clients. We do everything to get the job done, but we have to adapt to these times. And we, we how, how do you make a commitment when I don't know if we're going to have lumber this week or this month? So a lot of people... What, what would you say if they're going to remodel, wait till September, forget the summer, wait till September, and then you might have it done by next summer? I, John, I would say that if you're looking to start a project, I would encourage clients to start making phone calls and interviewing their builders today and being prepared to go to signing a contract by, by September. And I would say that if you think, it, I, I have to be cautious in this, it depends on the scope of the job. Some jobs could be ready by next year, but if it's a really large scale project, there's going to be contingencies that there's, there, there can't be a guarantee in next year. There's just too many. I can control a lot of people. I can't control product flow. So we, we have to wear that, that responsibility and, and, and inform our clients. And it's uh, not comfortable to tell a client, I can't promise. I love to promise. I, I, that's how I built my career was promising that I can fulfill your wishes. How can somebody, uh, if they have any questions, how can they reach you? 
Uh, John, they could reach me at kensecorconstruction.com. That's Ken, S-E-C-O-R, construction.com. Uh, my phone number, email is there. They can give us a call if they have any questions. We, uh, we, we always call people back, and we are open weekends when most people want to talk to us. Great. Ken Secor, it's been a delight having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. So in the meantime, thank you again for listening. And remember, have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM. Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.